Millions of workers across France and the UK have gone on strike in recent days and weeks to protest a raft of anti-worker measures, including efforts to roll back the right to strike and the right to retire with dignity. What can we learn from these episodes in the class struggle as Wall Street prepares similar attacks here in the United States? We need a new system. We need a new society. We need to demand that which may have sounded impossible even a few weeks ago, but is not only realizable, but an imperative necessity. We are very excited to have Professor Richard Wolf join us for a regular weekly segment where we discuss the biggest stories relating to the economy, the state of the working class, and the crimes of big business. I'm Walter Smolarek, filling in for Brian Becker. The Socialist Program brings you content three days a week thanks to the support of our patrons at patreon.com slash the socialist program. We appreciate all of your support and encourage you to become a patron today if you enjoy listening to the show. Richard Wolff is the co-founder of the organization Democracy at Work and the author of many books, the latest being The Sickness is the System, When Capitalism Fails to Save Us from Pandemics or Itself. Check out all of his work at rdwolf.com. So, Professor Wolf, like I mentioned in the introduction, major strikes the last few days in France and in the UK. These are workers across sectors, public sector, private sector, struggling against anti-worker reforms and the cost of living crisis that is ravaging the globe, really. Tell us about the significance of these actions. Wonderful question, but the answer is complicated because of the different levels at which these things impact. Let me start with France. France has now, if my count is correct, had three days over the last two weeks in which the labor unions called out their own members and the sympathies of the larger public. And in, on all three days, they got out, if not a million, in some days maybe slightly less, and other days of the three more than one million. And these are by police accounts as well as by the people who run. These are highly disciplined into the street manifestations. They occur across the country at the same time in a coordinated way. We're talking three to four hundred different cities. They are completely peaceful. The point of them is to say to the government, we, the people of this country, are against your priorities, against how you're spending the taxes we pay, and we will not tolerate it. You are not going to fob us off with ceremonies. You're not going to fob us off with glibly written press releases and a photo op with President Macron. On the contrary, if you don't respond to our needs and requirements as French citizens, we will continue these manifestations and the disruption of business as usual will get worse. The very strong, very clear message 
the opinion polls show that the majority of the French people are with the demonstrators, just as the polls in England show that where it's a little smaller there than in France, the English do not have the tradition of going into the streets when a mass of people have a grievance the way the French have been doing for two centuries, etc. It's a remarkable manifestation of what a real democracy is, not something where once a year you go into a little booth and choose which of the two oppressive political parties you're going to have a roar to get over you this time. But you really say, no, 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 none of that. No indirect democracy, direct democracy. When people care enough to say this has got to stop. And here's another level. In France, again, but also in England, nobody dares demonstrate against. For the right wing in France, they had basically supported this because it's too politically dangerous for them not to, because they understand that the majority of the people who vote to the right wing agree with what these demonstrations are about. Now, the third level, the substance. And here the British story is even more powerful in some ways than the French. Let's start, though, with the French. The key issue, not the only one, but the key issue has been the effort of the Macron government, President Macron, to reduce pensions for older workers. In France, you have the right to retire with a pension from the government for the rest of your life at age 62, that's been the way it's been done for decades, okay? They want to reduce it so that you have to wait until age 64. This effectively deprives the entire French working class of two years of a retirement that they have been paying for their entire working lives because the funding of the pension is the contributions taken out of workers' pay while they're working, their working lives, and put aside, kept by the government to give them a pension. So the government, by doing this, is seizing the property of the workers by depriving them for two years of money that was contributed by them on the promise, on the expectation, never questioned that they would get it starting at age 62. Why the government's doing this? To save money. And so the French people are saying, excuse me? You are pouring money, as do all the European countries, into the war in Ukraine. So obviously, you have the money. You are doing all kinds of things around the world. Let's begin to have a conversation honestly, in this society, over whether what we want to do with the taxes we pay is to continue to do the things you're doing, like the war, like not taxing the rich the way we have asked you to do for a long time. You're making decisions that involve money, which you are now proposing to get by taking away our pensions. And guess what? We have a different idea of what should be done. 
and we don't want you to proceed. And you ignore us, we're into the street where you cannot ignore us. The French are proud that they're doing this, and the majority of people are proud with them. Now the British. In Britain, here's what we're seeing. We now have many years, decades, of the effective rule of the conservative wing of British capitalism, mostly concentrated in the conservative party, but with more than a few agreeable folks in the Labour Party. Conservative and Labour in England are the rough equivalents of Republican and Democrat here in this country. The suffering of the British working class has been staggering, and that has happened now since the crash of 2008 and 9, from which the British working class never recovered. Their wages, if you adjust for the prices they have to pay, what we call in economics the real wage, has been trending downward in England, worse than anywhere in Europe for the last now 15 years. That's an amazing blow. Meanwhile, the British economy has been making big money for the people at the top. The inequality in Britain, which was bad at the beginning of this century, has gotten way worse during it. It was so bad that by 2016, in order to save the situation from the rising anger of the British working class being treated this way by British capitalism, and remember, the British capitalists can no longer solve their domestic difficulties by ripping off the people of the British Empire because the British Empire is dead and gone. It's not there. The, the people in London can't rip them off in order to slow down their confrontation with their own British working class. So they had to come up with a stunning distraction. And they did. It's called Brexit. What the conservatives did is blame Europe as if the problems of Britain, its inequality, its dying empire, are somehow Europe's fault. And they went through a tremendous campaign leading to the Trump-type political clowns of England, like Boris Johnson, to actually become the prime minister by riding the wave, not of British hostility to Europe, which is senseless, but in fact, riding the idea to the British, okay, we've got the solution. It happens not to involve any of the rich people in England being in any way taxed or discomforted one way or another. No, 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 no. We're going to disconnect from Europe, and that's going to solve their problem. Well, the British people, not by a big majority, but by enough, voted for Brexit. A desperate working class probably saying to itself, okay, let's try this. Nothing else has solved or changed our situation. And all that has happened since 2016, over these last six or seven years, has been that the decline of Britain has accelerated. Not only didn't get better, it got worse. Nothing panned out. Then the pandemic hit. And now, as if to top it all off, they have the worst inflation in Europe. 
on top of all the rest. It's too much. And finally, the British working class, even though it lacks the revolutionary zeal, tradition, spirit of the French, have said, we've had enough. And we now see a wave of strikes, the likes of which Britain hasn't seen probably for half a century or more. And let me conclude, usually the United States, when it comes to worker activity, is like Europe, but it's just slower. It takes longer. You can rip American workers off longer than you can French or British even. But usually it follows. So I think lurking here is a huge warning for the United States. This kind of labor activism is coming down the road. What we have seen in the United States over the last 18 months, strikes and unionization efforts in Amazon, Starbucks, you fill in the blank, everybody knows about it now. What we're seeing are the early phases and the later phases are what we are witnessing in Britain and France. Thank you, Professor Wolf. I want to ask you a little bit more about that struggle and the prospects for that struggle here in the U.S. Rishi Sunak, the Conservative Party Prime Minister of the U.K., in response to this strike wave, is pushing new legislation that would essentially restrict the right to strike by allowing the government in the U.K. to impose minimum service levels. In the U.K., there actually is no law enshrining the right to strike. It is effectively functionally legal, but under this new legislation that's being pushed by the conservative government, the government would be able to say, okay, well, you can go on strike, but hospital workers, you need to make sure that X, Y, and Z things still happen, or public transportation workers, you need to make sure that X, Y, and Z routes are still operating. In other words, you can strike, but the effectiveness of those strikes, the disruptiveness of those strikes are minimized, minimized to the point that they are ineffective. In the United States, the Supreme Court is preparing a similar attack. There's the Glacier case, the Glacier decision that will be coming later this year, where essentially an employer, a construction firm, a cement mixing firm is saying that, well, we can legally hold liable unions for any damage to property that takes place during a strike, not because there was destruction or violence or vandalism, but simply because the business wasn't operating. So again, the same basic logic. Well, you can go on strike, but if it causes us, the employer, the corporation, any type of damages or difficulty, then it's illegal. So defanging the right to strike. Talk a little bit about this trend. I mean, clearly, clearly the elites in power are very afraid that workers in a lot of different countries are exercising their right to strike in a way that they haven't for many years. Yes, and the right-wing conservative commitment to the capitalist system is showing its teeth. And Americans who should have seen this because it's been done for so long in a hundred different forms, they, there's no reason to be surprised that if you have mismanaged your system as badly as the capitalists in Britain and France and the United States, and you've been unable to provide decent livelihoods to the mass of your people, 
you discover that the mass of your people are actually human beings who are not willing to watch their standard of living be taken away from them, their children's opportunities to be constructed downward. Yeah, you now have to either face that changes have to come, you have to face your own responsibilities here, and they don't want to do that. We don't have very attractive ruling classes in capitalism. Only when there's prosperity do they put on a nicer and friendlier facade. But right behind it, they're not willing to accept any responsibility or any cost for the mess that they've made. And then when the workers push back, yeah, then out comes the hard edge that was not all that well hidden before, but here it is, and we're going to take away your right to strike. What both Mr. Sunak, and let's remember, this is a multimillionaire who fell into his job because his boss, Boris Johnson, lied so often that even the British conservatives who voted him in voted him out because he's a liar on a scale that was publicly recorded. It's a little bit like Mr. Trump here. It's so extraordinarily vulgar that you kind of don't know what to say. And these laws fool no one. This is the, the old joke. Here we are, children. We're at the candy store. Would you like an ice cream? Yes, you can choose any flavor you like as long as it's vanilla. No child is fooled by this game. You don't have free choice. You have no choice at all. And the mass of the working class is going to react badly, is my prediction, to these efforts. If the Supreme Court is now captured by right-wingers who can't see beyond the end of their Pinocchio noses, okay, but that's not going to change anything. You deny workers in this society the right to strike. You don't solve any problem they are going to find other ways. Why do I say that? Because that's always what happens. You've got to solve this problem. It isn't going to melt away because you've decided to exercise some law or some regulation. If you really meant it, if you really are going to go through with this, and say that all unions are going to be charged by the employer for whatever losses the employer has by provoking a strike, what you're doing is incentivizing strike provocation. Companies that are in trouble will now force a strike because they can sue the union for whatever it has, which may make them more money than they're able to make by their normal business because they've led it so poorly. We've seen this happen a thousand times. There's a standard joke across American industry. Here's how the joke goes. Why does the employer buy fire insurance? Because when the profits aren't high enough, he lights a fire because the insurance money is more than he can make if he kept the business going. Ha, 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 Everybody laughs, but the underlying message should not be lost. You do what the Supreme Court is threatening to do. All you're doing is changing the form in which the working class will fight what's going on. 
And you may be very sorry that the forms they find may be much worse for the ruling class than coming to terms with that demand of the working class now when it's still constrained in the form of strikes and of demonstrations, peaceful in the streets and so on. You know, another way to understand this, fascism is what you call it when capitalists can no longer rule the system they are sitting on top of by the normal behavior and the normal ways of capitalism. They now have to use the force, the full force of the government, the police and the troops to enforce a capitalism that could not survive any other way. That's what Hitler did in Germany, Mussolini in Italy, Franco in Spain, and so on. And we're watching the earlier stages of very similar movement here, trying to keep a dying capitalism going by ripping off the working class, both in terms of like the inflation is doing now, like the pandemic did, but now with the addition of crushing the unions because they are one form that the working class takes to push its agenda over and against what the capitalists are doing. And one last word, capitalists, employers, that's a tiny minority of modern society. The vast majority are the working people. And that difference terrifies those at the top and makes the worst of them think that they can resort basically the violent force of the government to keep a dying system from going into the dustbin of history. Final parallel that I want to draw between the situation here in the US and in the UK and France, and particularly France. You know, of course, the ruling class, the capitalist class, wants to divide workers any way they possibly can. And one way is along generational lines to divide older workers and younger workers. So here you have Macron, the pro corporate president of France pushing this reform, quote unquote reform, to make workers work until they're 64 instead of 62. And what they say to younger workers is that you better support this. You should support this increase in the retirement age because unless this happens, there's going to be no money left for you when you retire. The pension funds are going to go broke. And so you should be with us on this. You should make the older workers work longer because there's too many older people and not enough younger people. They sell this pro-corporate anti-worker reform in this manner to lots of people. This is a huge narrative that they push. How do you respond to that? How do you debunk that line? Well, I can give you an answer and pretend it's my own, but I won't. I'll give you the answer that the French have given, the French left. But before I do, let me be clear. This is a game of, of political rhetoric. The notion that old people, if they don't retire until 64 will somehow make life better for younger people is nuts. When they retire at 62, the jobs open up for young people. By making them work until 64, fewer jobs will open. But if what you're concerned about is providing jobs for younger people, if that's the actual issue, there are 10 different ways I could list in four seconds about how to do that. Whacking the older people is a bizarre choice 
Your society is unable to provide work for the young people who want a job, who have the energy, who need it for their family formation. That's an obligation of the society if it's working. If it isn't working, if you can't provide jobs to the people, then admit it. Say you're a defunct system that can't do one of the most essential things any economy does, which is provide work for young people who are becoming adults. And then we can discuss how we fix the failure of the system to provide work. The notion that the only way we can discuss it is by screwing older people, you know, the French make a mockery. But here's what I wanted to say. French trade unions are very powerful. They have meetings, they have newspapers, they have every kind of mechanism highly developed to reach their people. On top of that, they have major national newspapers that are pro-labor and keep that message going. One of the major dailies in France is called L'Humanité. It's the newspaper of the Communist Party of France. It is available on every newsstand across the country. Nothing like that exists in the United States. There is no way to get the alternative message across to counter the government's propaganda because in our country, all the major newspapers and all the major TV and radio stations all sing the same tune that the government is urging them to put out there. So we have a different task in the United States to explain how and why what the government is saying is false. The only way to solve an inflation is not by raising interest rates, yet we live in a country that seems the need to pretend that it is. The only way to solve the problem of adequate jobs for people is not to fool around with the pensions that people who've given an entire lifetime of work retire with. This is nuts what's being said to us, and it should be understood not only as an unacceptable burdening of the working class yet again with more failure, like the Biden administration allowing an inflation to flare after a pandemic and an inflation in which prices are going up twice the rate of wages. You know, the Japanese prime minister a week ago urged the country to allow wages to go up faster than prices in order to compensate for the damage done to the working class in his country. Wow, he was forced by the labor movement in Japan to go in that direction and by the fear that they are going to ignite in Japan the kinds of movements they are watching in France and England. But here in the United States, we are ruled by a, the government which is called denial. Pretend all of this stuff isn't going on and maybe it really will magically vanish. We're going to have to leave it right there. We were joined by Professor Richard Wolff. He's the co-founder of the organization Democracy at Work. He's the author of many books. The latest is The Sickness is the System, When Capitalism Fails to Save Us from Pandemics or Itself. Check out all of his work at rdwolf.com. You've been listening to The Socialist Program. We bring you content three days a week thanks to the support of our patrons at patreon.com slash the socialist program. We appreciate all of your support. I encourage you to become a patron today if you enjoy listening to the show. You've been listening to The Socialist Program with Brian Becker, where we bring you news and views about the world for those who want to change it. 
If you enjoyed the show, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And watch video episodes of our in-depth show, The Real Story, every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on YouTube with our partner, Breakthrough News. We can only continue our work bringing you high-quality news, analysis, and history with the support of our listeners. Connect with us and become a patron at patreon.com slash the socialist program and receive an invitation to participate in an exclusive monthly seminar with Brian Becker. Thank you.